Bienvenido, ahora está escuchando el Paseo Podcast, donde destacamos las historias de, por y para la comunidad puertorriqueña. Bienvenidos a todos. You are listening to the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smyzer de Leon, and I want to thank you for downloading this episode. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are streamed, give this podcast a like and subscribe to it. It makes a world of difference. We started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here in Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. I have Puerto Rican author Abdin Noboa Rios joining me on the Paseo podcast today. Education is a big topic of discussion, not only in our national political debates, but right here in Chicago with a looming teacher strike. A poll by the Chicago Sun-Times and ABC7 Chicago shows that 38% of Chicago voters oppose a strike by teachers, while 49% support it. Well, count the Paseo podcast in that 49%. I am happy to see that there is such a rise in the support, uh, not only of unions, but of our Chicago teachers. I don't know that 10 years ago, these percentages would have been the same. So we're not really here to talk about the Chicago teacher strike, but we're sending them some good vibes. We hope the city answers their needs. We're really going to focus this episode still on the topic of, of education, but the discussion specifically will hone in on how Latinos have been educated, how they have existed in our American education system. We're going to do that by talking to Abdin about this new book that he released that actually focuses on that very topic. Abdin? Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you. Thank you. We're happy to have you. Uh, so what should our audience know about you? We'll give you a chance to introduce yourself. Well, I am from the barrio, born in Puerto Rico, but raised in Chicago most of my life. Came here when I was barely, came to the U.S., barely one year old, and to Chicago when I was about four years of age. And... Um, through my college years. So I'm a Chicago boy and from the barrio of the Puerto Rican community, the original one, which was urban removed for UIC and then moved to what is now Division Street Humble Park area and uh, where the community continues to be for the most part. And so I'm a product of the streets of Chicago. You now live in Washington, D.C. What are you up to down there? Don't hold that against me. Yes, I'm in <laughs> exile in Washington, D.C. and have been for the past 20 years. I have my own company in Washington, D.C. in the area of education research and technical assistance and also from where I do a lot of writing. Speaking of doing a lot of writing, you have a new book out, The Story of Latinos in Education in American History. I am fascinated by this topic because before the interview, I was talking about why we started this podcast. And a lot of that was, you know, being educated on my own culture, um, trying to find materials out there, just really starving for content that 
expressed or at least gave me some insight into where I've been, what my roots are, so I could better exist in the world. The education system that I grew up in, I never heard about my own culture. So didn't learn about the Tainos, didn't learn about the slaves that, that were on that were brought to the island, didn't learn about Christopher Columbus even landing in the Caribbean first and the extent of his presence on that island and how that affected and we feel the ripple effects of that to this this day. That perspective was not shared with me. It, it, well, you're not you're not alone. <laughs> Lots of us are the same in terms of not well knowing our history. And that's why books like this become so important. It's important to know our past so that we know where we are in the present. Those who do not know the past are bound to repeat uh, its errors and do not learn. It's interesting, in education, everything that we know has been learned in the past. And the greater that knowledge has been, the better we are to make better decisions. And there's a talking about the past and the present. There is, a, I think, an exciting little quip. A quote from a number of decades ago that says, the better you know the past, the better you are for the present. And the farther back you look, the farther forward you can see. And so the past should not be the template for the present or for the future. But if we don't know it, we're not as prepared. So is, would you say that's the, one of the driving forces behind writing this book, going into the past to figure out where we need to go? Very much so. Very much so, because it, it kind of tells us a lot of what has happened to us so that now we learn from that so that we can improve and refine that uh, for our future. And that becomes very, very critical for us as a people, as well as it does individually. In your book, in your book, you, you cite a lot of data. Is there anything that as you started to, to collect information and start formulating your thoughts in this book, were there any significant trends that you noticed after pouring over all that data? The, there is a lot of data. And there is a lot of referencing because what I'm saying is so critically important. And what I'm saying is going to be questioned that I had to make sure that I had as many sources as possible so that it's not Dr. Novoa saying it, but it's other people who have done the research before me. And I'm just simply the medium by which all that information has been gathered or represented. I also, beyond that which I quote in terms of statistics and literature, I also interviewed at, at, at great length, about 112 leading educators, primarily Latino, not exclusively, one hour on tape. And so I do a lot of quoting of what they have said and how they perceive their current positions and the current state of the art. 
And I'm talking about not just teachers and principals, but also Latino superintendents, Latino university professors, Latino researchers, Latino presidents of universities, and not just the U.S., but also in Puerto Rico, where I interviewed four former secretaries of education. So it's quite a panoply of information from the who's who in our community. Was there, in those, in those interviews, did you notice any commonality between the responses? Did you get a lot of like, oh my gosh, thank goodness, thank God someone's actually asking me about this because this is something that's been on my mind or something I didn't realize until I was older. Um, yeah, what were some of the responses? You bet. And it's interesting because I hit different strata of educators. And in a nutshell, they were all saying the same thing, but from their vantage point. But it was like hearing the same story in echo. Major concern about education, major concern about equity in Latinos in the context of education, major concern about miseducation, and incredible concern about inequity and mediocrity in education. You mentioned miseducation, and that was one of the, one of the significant trends that the data uh, was showing in the book. Can you say a little bit more sure. on, on and, that? Sure, and when we talk about history, uh, and this is where history becomes an important tool to understand in terms of where we are today, is that in the area of education, one thing that has happened to the Latino population is that it has been consistent in miseducation between the past and the present, hopefully not for the future. But in that trajectory, we have been extremely highly miseducated throughout. And that has been a consistent path. Today, we continue to be highly miseducated. And if we were to just take the data for today, for example, we have the lowest percentage enrollment in preschool education, whether it's half-day or full-day preschool. This is before kindergarten. We have the lowest percentage of completion rates in grad school, whether it's masters or doctoral students, of any ethnic racial group in the country. And in between, K-12, uh, we are consistently at the bottom with African Americans. Some years were one or two points lower. Some years, African Americans are one, point, one or two points lower in the NAEP, the National Assessment for Educational Progress. Uh, but for the last four and a half decades, we have been consistently in the bottom in K-12 achievement or what we call the achievement gap, which has not narrowed significantly either for the African-American or the Latino population. And that's a major statement after all these years. Are those two of the biggest casualties in terms of ethnic groups within the achievement gap? Is it African-Americans and Latinos that normally share that, that bottom spot amongst other ethnic groups? Definitely. The only other group that sometimes shares some of these statistics is the Native American. Mm -hmm. But as we know, the Native American is a very small 
percentage of the American population, barely 1%, just under 1%. So we do not normally talk about the Native American, but in some instances, the Native American also ranks very, very low. The Asian American is exceptional to this for the most part, unless we talk about specific Asian Americans, uh, Pacific Islanders in particular. Uh, but if we were to just take the major uh, non-minority groups, and right now we are more, non-minorities are more than half, are right around half the entire student population, in some states even higher. Um, but we just surpassed being half the entire K-12 school enrollment as of about four years ago. Uh, you will find that almost all of us, with the exception of some Asian Americans, are at the very, very bottom of the educational ladder in achievement. Do you have any perspective as we, as a society, as we see more people that are biracial, triracial, do you see any, does the trend inform any type of future for people that may not be 100% Latino, 100% black, 100% Asian. Once we start seeing more biracial and triracial people, if you're half Latino, half black, half Latino, half white, is there any is there any difference in that data, or is it once you're brown, once you're black, even if it's half, 25 well, percent, you're still within in, this achievement gap? In in America, if you're one one hundredth non-white, you are non-white by definition. <clears throat> is like nobody talks about Obama being a white president when right. he was half white. Right. Um, Our first biracial president. <clears throat> first biracial first president. president, yeah. Right. So from that standpoint, two trends are occurring. And one is that the younger the generation, the more mixed race that generation will be. And the second is that the higher the education, the more mixed race that would be. So if you combine those, the likelihood of, of, of being mixed race is more than 10%. And that trend is continuing to accelerate. It used to be in statistics that any time there was a category that was 5% or above, you would create a new category. Right now, in terms of census, um, we're missing the boat because it's much more now than 5% mixed parentage in terms of mixed race. The Latino is obviously the unique exception because it is a mixed race. And so it's 100% mixed race. And so one of the fights that we have with the census is that we're not a racial group. We are a demographic group. Mm -hmm. And the census continues to divide us in terms of black and white and count us as if we were an anthropological race. And that context of counting anthropology in terms of the three races of the world is more than passe, more than yesterday. And unfortunately, our census is still doing that. And so when they ask me if I don't fit into white or black, and there's no category for Hispanic, I put other or mixed. Hmm. Yeah, I never understood when answering the census why I had to choose between not even the word Latino, but Hispanic, 
and then having to choose between identifying as white, black, or Asian Pacific Islander and really feeling left out in that. I never understood that system. Um, And and that goes way back. And by the way, historically, I deal with that in the book uh, because I talk about how that came about over time and how that was used in education. Because in the early 60s, what happened to my family, for example, when busing came, is that the lighter portion of my family, my, my, my cousins, would go to one school and the darker portion would go to another school. And yet we're talking about the same family, even the same brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were categorized vi- visually by race or by some or by somebody's uh, denotation of our race rather than us as a unique category it was not until 1970 the cisneros case uh, which was a supreme court case where they began to count for the first time and because of the high numbers they began to count latinos as a unique and separate race or group or demographic entity, and that broke the pattern, and that is still the law of the land when it comes to education. But when it comes to census counts, that's not occurring as yet. So it's interesting that our laws are inconsistent, and my book begins to talk about that inconsistency from the very beginning, uh, going all the way back to the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo in 1848, and how the Mexican was Mexicano was then being counted and what happened subsequently. And there's some interesting anecdotes in the book, which I cannot talk about because otherwise you won't read my book (laughs) because I can't give you those punchlines. Of course. (laughs) But, but, but it's intriguing to see how that pattern has not fully changed as yet. And we're talking about two centuries. Uh, So, and you asked me, sorry, you asked me about trends. The other big trend, other than the consistency of miseducation, is a trend that has now changed, and that is the growth, the numbers, the demography of the Latino population. And that's huge. Fifty years ago, we could not have said, somos el futuro, we are the future. Today, we can say that. And tomorrow, even more. Already in America, one out of five residents are Latino. One out of four public school students are Latino. Actually, 28%, and that's a year ago. We will soon be one-third. Yesterday, one out of every three-and-a-half newborn babies or Latino. That demographic shift is huge. So you've got two trends that the book talks about. One is a miseducation trend, and the other one is a demographic trend. And if nothing changes, this generation is going to really be wrestling with a looming storm, what I call a perfect storm, in that If we do not change those trajectories, the future of America is imperiled in terms of the fact that the future 
population of America will be the most miseducated population ever. Going back in time, what are some of those educational obstacles that were put in place? And then without giving too much away from this book and the book that the second book that's coming out, what is one particular area that you think can be addressed? Well, let me let me simplify. This book is the history mm-hmm. and it takes us to the 21st century and it ends by by basically saying here is what we have learned from that history and it ends with 10 challenges. The next book focuses specifically on the 21st century and then expands on those 10 challenges in terms of where are we this if I can, in, in, in the century. And yeah. If I can interrupt you, so it goes to the 21st century. Where does it begin, this book? It begins at the very beginning. It actually begins strongly with the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. Then it does a little bit of back history in context, and it goes back to Columbus and his various voyages and how education began to spread in the New World, and then how that actually became an indelible part of the United States before the 13 colonies. And so I begin to talk about the fact that Spain brought its education along much before the English, and then at one point, the English education and the Spanish education got mixed on the westward movement, and what does that mean? Uh, And so I get into some of that history, which is history that we don't know, uh, that we don't talk about, that is usually not uh, talked about in, in school. And that's where the Latino history has become unknown to most of us. And, and that needs to be understood in context. The Latino has been invisible in American history, but much more invisible in education history. We've been here all along, mm. but there's been little documentation about that history. So mm. in a nutshell, what I do is I review that and come to the present so that the reader begins to understand where we are, why we are, in addition to who we are. Gotcha. And then um, the implications of that. And in a nutshell, I have one sentence that kind of dramatizes that. And I take off on this, uh, th- that sentence that uh, was used by Obama about seven years ago at a multicultural school in Washington, D.C. when he was president. And that is that the future of America is inextricably linked to the prosperity and progress of the Latino population. And so if those two trends continue, the country uh, is in dire straits because whether you like me or not, if you imperil my future, uh, you're cutting your nose to spite your face. We're in this together, and whether you like me or not, you have to educate my kids. Mm. And so somehow we have to find a collaborative effort there. This is not a Latino problem. This is an American challenge. So, Abdeen, for those listening, definitely they should pick up the book. 
but if there's one takeaway from this conversation, not just for people in higher education or in elementary education, what is the takeaway for all of us listening to this? How, what should we know as, as educators, not from the traditional standpoint of the classroom, but as educators in the community? What, what should we take away from this discussion? Well, it, it's interesting. We talk a lot about the achievement gap, but we don't talk about the racial gap. And there's a considerable racial gap, which is increasing much more than the achievement gap, and that is the percentage of Latino teachers that we have in K-12, which is roughly 8.5% right now, and even less so for administrators. Yet 28% of our students are Latinos. And if you take these two trends we will have a higher and higher percentage of Latino students and probably a lower and lower percentage or at least a plateaued percentage of Latino educators. So that means over time, that's going to exacerbate. And, it, and those trends are moving in the wrong direction. My book is not just about the Latino teacher or the Latino student but it's for everybody, and especially every educator, Latino or not. In fact, it may be even stronger for the non-Latino educator, because at least the Latino educator has some sense of this history and this context, Uh, but it's the non-Latino educator that's gonna confront more and more Latino students, and they should know that history, because that also has implications on pedagogy how we approach the Latino student, how we teach, how we create relationships, and so, and how we deal with role models or the lack of role models. So all of that comes into play. And again, that's interwoven here in terms of the historical context. In the second book, which will be out in January, we specifically talk about how does that apply to pedagogy and teaching and instruction. There's one way I like to to live my life by as I've entered the professional world these past few years is opening the door for people that come after me. And I think this book helps us open that door into where we've been in order to better educate where we are in order to better determine how we need to move forward. So we appreciate you opening that door for us and for being on the podcast. It's my pleasure. I'm Dean. Thank you so much. Thanks to Abdin Loboarios for coming on the show. We really appreciate him taking time out of his day to talk about his new book, The Story of Latinos and Education in American History. So if you liked what you heard, definitely give his book a read and let us know on our social media, on our website, whether or not there were things you agreed with. Maybe there were some things you disagreed with. Let us know. I'd love to hear what some of your insight and takeaways from this book are. If you want to purchase the book, Abdeen said that you can go to peterlang.com. That's the publisher's website. You can purchase it directly from there. If you want to keep up with Abdeen, he did confess to me after the show that his social media game isn't quite on point as it needs to be, but he's working on it. He's working on it. So if you're interested in following him, Google his name, find him on Facebook. His website is in the process of being created for his company. So definitely be on the lookout for that as well. 
Without our awesome guests, this podcast would not be possible. And without you, our listeners, this would not be possible. So we really appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to the show, connect with us by visiting our website, baseomedia.org, emailing us at baseopodcast at gmail.com, and following us at baseopodcast on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a tip, want to pitch a story, or send us a compliment, we love to hear from you. Thanks for downloading this episode, and see you next week. Cuídate. We want to take this moment to say thank you again for listening. When you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself, that makes a world of difference. So gracias for taking your time to listen to us. We also want to take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode. This episode would not be possible without the generous support of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center, located at 2546 West Division Street, right here in Chicago, is a community-based, grassroots, educational, health, and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency that is all activist-oriented. For more information on the work they do, give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org. Again, that's prcc-chgo.org. Now, if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the Paseo Podcast, please email us at paseopod at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-E-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humble Park sent you.